You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Amen. Well, you take out your Bibles. If you'll just follow along with me. If you're new here, that's fine too. We put words on the screen behind me so that you can kind of get familiar with it. But we hope that you'll be blessed today. And so uh, turn to the book of Jonah. Now, I know what you're thinking to yourself. You're like, okay, the book of Jonah. And maybe if you heard the story of Jonah in Sunday school, you heard about Jonah and the whale. And you thought to yourself, that's a cute little story, isn't it? You know, you maybe had the felt board or you had the little coloring book or you had the book and you showed people, here's Jonah, here's the whale, here's Jonah inside the whale. And we think it's a cute little story. It is not a cute story, okay? <laughs> it's actually a pretty bad story when you think about it um, because what it really is about, it's about uh, Jonah being a reluctant messenger. Now, if you look throughout Scripture, there are certain times where there are different people that God called them to do something, and they were reluctant to do it. Like, we can think of Moses. Like, God said, hey, Moses, I want you to be the deliverer of the people of Israel. And three times God had to ask, and Moses said no. Can you imagine, like, God asking you to do something? You go, ah, somebody else, please. You know, not me, God, someone else. Can you imagine saying no to God like three times? Moses did that, you know. Gideon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, different people in the scriptures were kind of reluctant to do the job that they had been given by God. But they did because they, God told them to. And they did it because they cared and loved their people. Most of the time, they were sent to their own people. But what if God asked you to share a message of his salvation and redemption with people that you didn't like and you didn't care for? I know that, that nobody's that way here today. They're like they're, Everybody loves everybody. Like everybody in this church, I'm pretty sure you, you're just loving, kind, and gracious everywhere you go, in the grocery store, on hold with Comcast, or whether in traffic. I'm sure you are... I'm sure you're a beacon of light uh, in this dark world. But let's just say for a moment here that God called you and said, I want you to share a message of hope with people that you don't care for. What if God called you to give his message of hope to people who were bad and did really horrible things? The question I would ask is, would you still go? Would you still be obedient? To what God asked you to do, I find this is particularly relevant for our world today because the world we live in is filled with people that do bad things. We can look at our country and all the evil that takes place in our cities, in our communities, in Hollywood, government, and yes, even in churches too. You'll see that in the news. And when we see evil being done, we want justice, we want judgment to be carried out. We look at the conflict in Israel. If you've been watching the horrible war that's been taking place in Israel between Israel and Hamas and what is going on there, what's being done. And we want those who have perpetuated horrible acts to, to experience uh, justice and judgment. But can you imagine if God spoke to you and called you to warn people that were horrible and awful and did terrible things to warn them of the coming judgment so that they would have a chance to repent and find salvation? That would be a little hard, wouldn't it? You, like I, would probably struggle with delivering that message. 
But as Christians, we want wrongs to be righted. We want justice to be done. We don't want bad people to be given a second chance. We want them to face the consequences of what they've done, right? So, like, how do we reconcile that? Well, my message today has to do with just that. As we look at the life of Jonah, uh, we understand that God called Jonah to bring a message of repentance and coming judgment to one of the most fearful and hated people by the Jews, the people of Assyria. So let's take a look at what God asked Jonah to do. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We're going to look there together. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. In other words, they've been so wicked and evil that God has saw it, seen what's happening there. He says, this can't continue. I'm going to bring judgment on this terrible nation. Now, let me give you a little background. Jonah was a prophet. He's from the region of Gath Hefer, which is three miles north of Nazareth. He ministered during the reign of Jeroboam, the king of Israel, which would have been around uh, 700 uh, 800 to 750 B.C. He is uh, asked by God to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria, which was the dominant empire of the time. It had 120,000 people in the city of Nineveh. That's just a little lower than the entire population of Springfield. And the Assyrians were not your nice people. These weren't just good people that God assigned Jonah to go and preach the gospel. This is not a Saturday morning men's breakfast. They said, go and speak to somebody who will be receptive to this message. The Assyrians were a cruel and violent people. They were fierce warriors. They often tortured prisoners of war, and they were uh, terrible to the world around them. They would take their prisoners of war and disperse them throughout the kingdom so that they would lose their national identity. So if Syria came and conquered a country, they took a lot of their people prisoner and they said, we're just going to put you all around our empire so eventually you will forget about the life that you had, you'll marry somebody, and your national identity will be completely erased from memory within a couple generations. In fact, in 721 B.C., Years after Jonah preached in Nineveh, it was Assyria who conquered the northern kingdom of Israel and utterly wiped it out, taking the ten tribes of Israel uh, and, and dispersing them around the world so that people to this day don't know where they are. So imagine Jonah hearing this and saying, you want me to go where? You want me to speak to who? Maybe God spoke it to you that way, and you're like, God, you want me to speak to who? You want me to go where? I, I don't want to do that. Do you know what those people are like? But let me share some thoughts with you from the story of Jonah as we kind of go through it rather quickly. And I find this significant. So the first thing is this. The same God who brings judgment is the same God that offers salvation. Same God that brings judgment. Same God that brings salvation. God told Jonah he's going to destroy Nineveh. And yet he sends Jonah to proclaim a message of repentance, giving the people of that city a chance. And you might ask yourself, well, why does God even bring judgment? Why does God bring judgment or discipline? Well, if you've ever been a parent, you know that sometimes, I would hope, you have to discipline your children. Why? Because you want to kind of work out in them and 
remove some of the things in their life that could become problems for them as they get older. You want to raise them to be upright people. You want to raise them to be good citizens. And so as a result, sometimes, sometimes, despite your best efforts to negotiate, despite your best efforts to try and talk with them and convince them through rational reasoning and logic, surprisingly, your children don't listen. So now, at this time, what happens? You have to discipline your children. Why? Because you don't want them to turn out badly. And that's the reason why. Why do we have laws in this country? Why do we have fines and penalties? Why do we have jail sentences? The idea behind it is so that through discipline, others will see the consequence of those who created and did horrible things so that they will be dissuaded by the punishment and not do them. So you might ask yourself, why does God do, have judgment? Why does he discipline the nations in such a way? It's so that others will say, hey, I'm not going to do that. Okay? And another reason why is like just as you say to yourself, you know, when you see terrible things happening in the news, you hear stories of awful things that people do to women and children, to one another, you say, something needs to be done. And what's that? That's justice. What's that? That's judgment. Now, I, I, for one, am thankful that I don't carry out, that God doesn't carry out judgment the way I carry out judgment or the way you or I carry out judgment, right? Because if we were God, it would be us and maybe three other people on this planet. Am I right? Like, if it was up to you, it's just like there's, there's so many people that frustrate you, you're like, well, that person's gone. Like, I would just end them right there, right? Because you just get so tired of people. You're easily frustrated. You're easily uh, prone to act out of your emotion, your anger, sometimes without a lot of mercy. It's important to remember this message because the message of salvation is a rescue from God's justice and judgment. You know, you and I, if you're a Christian here today, we are recipients of God's grace in the face of judgment and consequences. We were given an opportunity to turn from our sin and receive salvation through Christ. So God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. He says so in Ezekiel 33, 11. And he gives the same opportunity for everyone in this world to be saved just like we were saved. And he has commissioned us. If you're a Christian today, the words of Jesus are not taken as suggestions, but they are taken as commands for us to follow. And in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he gives what's called the Great Commission, where to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to share the message of Christ with everyone we meet. And can I challenge you a little further? He doesn't want us to just share it with the people we like, but also with the people we don't like, even with the people that we think deserve judgment. Listen, we love to, you know, we would love to see our our family members get saved, our friends get saved, our our neighbors get saved, but there's people that we don't like, we're like, eh, it doesn't matter about them. I'm saying it, but you thought it. Okay, I don't care about those people. I care about the people I care about. Can I challenge you with the idea that God cares about all of them? All of them, good and bad. I would challenge you even further to say there was a day before you came to Christ you weren't a very nice person either. Okay? And if it was up to someone else, you wouldn't be saved. (laughs) Am I right? 
So aren't you glad that God's grace is greater than our own uh, feelings of who should make it and who shouldn't make it? Okay? So the message of the book of Jonah is particularly important for us to understand that God brings salvation in the face of judgment, and he's called us to be his messengers of salvation. Now, Jonah hears this news, and, you know, what's his reaction to it? Well, let's find out. Jonah 1.3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So what did Jonah do? God says to him, imagine you, you hear God speaking to you. And God says, go and do this. And you go, thanks, God, and I'm going the other way and I'm doing, I'm absolutely not doing what you asked me to do. So Jonah ran, and he didn't just run. He got on a boat going in the opposite direction as far as it could possibly be away from where God told him to go. Tarshish was about 500 miles away from Israel. So imagine if you're picturing the map of Europe, you're picturing the Mediterranean Sea, you know where Israel is, you know where Spain is, that's where Jonah was going. He says, I am not, there's no way I am going to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was located where modern-day Iraq was, so you can see that Jonah is going as far away as he possibly can. Now, why did he do that? It's because he knew the power of God's message, and he knew that God could change them. He knew if he preached the word, the people of Nineveh would repent, and quite honestly, he did not want that. He wanted the Assyrians to pay for the evil they've done in the world. He believed they deserved judgment. And there's no way that he was going to be the one to help them find forgiveness in the sight of God. Now, that sounds like a really bad attitude, doesn't it? Imagine being a prophet, and you, that's your attitude when God tells you to do something. You're kind of, like, angry about it. You're kind of upset that he would even ask you to do it. You're kind of a little obstinate, stubborn, maybe disobedient. But it sounds like an attitude that we sometimes have. It's hard enough sharing the message of Jesus with people we like, our friends, family, and neighbors, but it's really hard to want to share the gospel with people we don't like. And it's hard to share with people we think deserve God's punishment. But can I share with you an interesting fact? In an odd way, that should be easier. Listen, they already don't like you. <laughs> and you sharing with that with them is not going to change that unless... God changes them, right? So think about that. So like, well, you know, sometimes we're hesitant to share Jesus with the people that are closest to us because we're like, what if they don't like us anymore? What if they, you know, what if that creates a, a strain in my family or a strain in my friendship? So we're sometimes concerned with our own, fr you know, friendship and our own comfort because we don't want to off offend the other person by sharing Jesus with them. How weird is it that we'd rather them not be offended than be saved when you think about that? Believe me, listen, I know there's been times where like, I'm like, I'm ready to share it, and then I'm just like, oh, man, but what if they don't listen? What if, what if like it creates a rift between us? So there's that wrestling that goes on. So sometimes that's the reason why we don't. But when it comes to people that don't already like you and don't like God, it's like you have nothing to lose. They already didn't like you. They might just like you even, dislike you even more after you share it. Or God could reach them and change them. Something to think about. Jonah didn't want any part of God's plan. Jonah was a reluctant 
and resistant messenger. And he went so far as to disobey him to avoid it. Now I know anyone here has never done that. But God was not going to allow him to get away with this res- from this responsibility. Why? And the second reason is this. God's plan was bigger than Jonah's prejudice. God's plan was bigger than Jonah's prejudice. Jonah objected to the idea of going to the Gentiles and preaching the word that was specifically and mostly for the Jews. A Jewish man in uh, Jonah's day was not even supposed to enter the house of a Gentile, let alone speak or eat with them, let alone go into the city where it's filled with them. And I'm sure Jonah would have thought, God, don't you know that? I shouldn't even associate with these people. Well, of course God knew it. He created the commands behind it. But his plan supersedes tradition and even the regulations of the law of Moses. God had a plan for the Assyrians in Nineveh, and Jonah was going to be part of that plan whether he liked it or not. Can I share with you a a frustrating thing, okay? And Diane Westcott will share this with you too, and I think she'll agree with me, is that you can't run away from God's calling. No matter how hard you try, I mean, and even if you do run, really, where can you go to get away from him? Like, he's everywhere. You know, the psalmist says he's literally everywhere. So, like, that plan just doesn't work. There has to, there's this wrestling match that takes place in your heart when God asks you to do something, and eventually you will submit. (laughs) You will give in to what he's calling you to do because, like, you can't run from that, and if you try, you will just find yourself miserable. Take it from someone who was minding his own business and was going to go into advertising, commercial art, and graphic design before God told me, hey, I want you to be a pastor. And I was the shyest kid in my youth group, okay? So, like, imagine me going, like, I don't see how that works. I don't want to do that. And I took a year when I graduated high school. I wrestled with that. Like, I did not, like, if I had trouble wanting to go and doing it. Eventually, God kind of brought me to that place where I finally accepted that reality and went. And I'm here with you today because of that. Thank you. Thank you. It means that God knows better than I do. Can I challenge you with the idea that maybe God knows better than we do about how it's going to turn out? So you can't run from your calling. So Jonah boards a ship bound for Tarshish or Spain, and while they're in the Mediterranean Sea, the ship encounters a vicious storm. Joshua, sorry, Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. Let's look at that. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, and so the ship threatened to sink and break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean? In other words, what are you doing, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So Jonah gets on board the ship, starts heading out towards Spain. Immediately a storm hits, and it starts to threaten the ship to the point that it might sink. And so Jonah is sleeping in the bottom of the ship, obviously not awakened by the storm that's throwing the boat back and forth. 
And so finally the captain of the ship comes down and says, listen, we're all up there praying to our specific gods. We're praying to our pagan gods. You need to get up and pray to your God that somehow we'll be spared from this. So they get up there on the top of the ship. They get up on the boat. And uh, they're, they're crying out to God. And uh, Jonah's just trying to be incognito about it. He's there, but he's trying to not, like, draw any attention to himself. And the, all the mariners, the sailors get together, and they cast lots. Now, in, in the Old Testament, when you cast lots, what you did is you took a jar, and you had some small fragments, whether they were bone or clay. And then you put everybody's number on that. And you put it in a jar, you shook the jar, and you threw the jar out. And whichever was the first one, the furthest one out, that was the one that was chosen by lot. And so they say, okay, well, somebody's responsible. This didn't just come up out of nowhere. How did this storm happen? Someone is doing something wrong, and the gods are angry. So let's find out who it is. So they put numbers on every, on every piece of uh, clay that's in there. They shake the, the jar. They put the jar out on the, the deck of the uh, ship. And whose number comes out first but Jonah's? Jonah realizes, you know, he's been exposed. And he confesses. He confesses that, you know, I, I am a prophet. I'm a servant of the God of Israel, the true and living God. And he confesses that, that this is why it's happening. The reason why it's happening is because I've been running from God. And I don't want to do what he wants me to do. And they ask him, well, what should we do? And he says, throw me into the sea. Jonah's so willing to save the life of these sailors, like, it doesn't matter. Just throw me into the sea, and I'm pretty sure the storm will stop. I'm, I'm guessing maybe that Jonah says, it's better I die at sea than go to Nineveh anyway, so throw me into the sea. But as you can know, these sailors are like, no, there's got to be some other way. We can't possibly just throw you into the sea and have you drown and have your blood on our hands. So they just try and try, and they try rowing towards shore, and the storm is blowing. The rain is coming down. The waves are overtaking the boat. And they say, they eventually go, okay, we'll, we'll do what you say, Jonah. And they take hold of him, and they get ready to throw him in the sea. But here's something that's really wild when you think about it, is that they pray to Jonah's God that God would not be angry with them and hold his blood against them. Look what it says in verses 14 through 16. Therefore they cried out to the Lord, not just a God or gods. And they said, O oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us his innocent blood. For you, O oh Lord, have done as it pleased you. And they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. And it says, The men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Even when Jonah's trying to be in the background, even when he's trying to be incognito, God uses his life to bring people to faith. Once they prayed and threw Jonah overboard, instantly the storm stopped. And these hardened sailors who served many gods stopped and made a sacrifice to the Lord God of Israel. And it says they made vows to him, which were signs of worship and devotion. Which probably brings us to the most familiar and incredible part of Jonah's journey. Verse 17, and the Lord appointed, or in other words, uh, prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Notice it doesn't say whale here. It says great fish. Many non-Christians and even some theologians have questioned whether or not this really happened. Some say this story of a great fish that can swallow a man is purely metaphorical. They would say, well, whales don't swallow humans. 
They eat kelp and small, uh, small sea, seafaring life. Well, let me give you a couple reasons why this is possible and plausible. Marine biologists tell us that we've only explored 20% of the known ocean. And there's many parts of the ocean we haven't explored, and there are certainly creatures we haven't discovered yet. Actually, the further down you go, the bigger they get. Have you noticed that? You ever see a giant squid? Huge hubcap-sized eye and beak? It's terrifying. But they're only in the really, really deep, dark waters. So there's parts of the sea we haven't even discovered yet or explored, so we don't know where that fish came from. Number two, there's been instances where whales have accidentally swallowed divers who got too close when they were feeding and then spit them back up again because they're like, you're not kelp. They just spit them back up. Number three, there are creatures in the sea that grow to really huge sizes. If you ever watch the show River Monsters with Jeremy Wade, one of my favorite shows of all time, there was one episode where they showed a 400-pound stingray that was over 20 feet across. There are killer whales that eat seals that range from 700 to 800 pounds and grow to 8 feet long. That's bigger than a human. Listen, I put on some weight, but I dare say you're not seven or 800 pounds, okay? If a killer whale can eat a eight-foot-long seal that weighs seven to 800 pounds, it could certainly swallow a human. But perhaps the most important reason why this is not metaphorical and while it is actual, and it's actually the reason why we have the book of Jonah in our Bible, is because Jesus referred to the story of Jonah as factual. One thing that you'll know, a little church history and how we got our Bible, anytime Jesus refers to an Old Testament book, the church at that time that was determining the Bible and how it was to be written, they said if Jesus referred to it, then it's in the Bible. If you refer to Isaiah, if you refer to Jonah, those books are in the Bible because Jesus taught from them and believed that they were real. And so Jesus said in Matthew 12, verses 38 through 41, he says, just as Jonah was in the heart of a huge fish, For three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And he was speaking of his eventual resurrection from the dead. So the story of Jonah is to be taken literally. Let's continue the story. Jonah was in the belly of the fish, and while he was there, you can imagine he had some time to think. There's nothing like sitting and not being able to do anything to make you think. Like whether you're in jury duty or in the doctor's office or like you uh, recently had a procedure and you have to stay in the bed for like a week at a time, you realize there's not much you can do, so there's time to think. Three days and three nights are a long time. Now, we sometimes think of Jonah and the whale. We think of the whale being like, you know, remember the cartoon Pinocchio. And Pinocchio is in this huge whale, and he's on a raft, and he's got a candle, and I think he's got a seagull, and he's just hanging out in there like, like, no, probably if Jonah was swallowed by a whale, it's dark in there, it smells like whale, okay, he's hearing the sounds, he's probably hundreds of feet below the surface of the the ocean. He's hearing the sounds of the ocean around him. He's hearing the sounds of the whale trying to digest him. So as you can imagine, Jonah goes, maybe Nineveh's not such a bad idea after all. 
It's in the belly of the whale that Jonah goes, hey, you know, God, forgive me. I repent, and I will do what you ask me to do. And then we see that at the very end of that chapter, we see in in chapter 2, we see that God commands the fish to release Jonah. In Jonah 2.10, the fish vomits Jonah onto dry land. He didn't just open his mouth and he walked out. He just spit him out. It's pretty gross. (laughs) All right. But, you know, if you're going to disobey God, sometimes that's how it goes. Sometimes that's how the call goes. It doesn't quite go. It's not neat. It's not tidy. Sometimes it's messy, okay? But, so Jonah is now out of the whale, which brings me to my third point, that God's mercy and his message go hand in hand. If you don't write down anything else from this message, write this down. Because I think Christians need to know this. We don't, we don't specialize in mercy very often unfortunately. But it's the one thing that brings people to salvation. We are recipients of salvation because of God's rich mercy. We deserve judgment. You say, well, Pastor Dan, you don't know me. You don't deserve judgment. Listen, I don't need to know you. I know how I am. I deserve judgment from that my times before I was a Christian I didn't always do the right thing. I didn't always say the right thing. I didn't always think the right thing. I dare to say that you're probably in the same boat, okay? So God's mercy came to me, and I received his salvation, but his mercy and his message go hand in hand. See, as Christians, a lot of Christians, they study the word, they become experts in the word, and the same God that saved them from their terrible life that they were in, the terrible person they were, made them into a Christian, and now made them into a very judgmental unmerciful Christian. If you listen to the way that some Christians talk to other people, there's an air of superiority about them that is not leading people to Christ but pushing them further away from God. That's not what God saved us for. And that's not his mercy at work. The sailors in the storm were shown mercy and believed. Jonah experienced God's mercy when he was released from the great fish's belly. Now God commands Jonah once more to go to Nineveh and preach the message that he gave him. Now it's a three-day journey from Nineveh to where, from where he was. And Jonah has been changed by his time in the whale. Scholars believe that that if he was in a fish's belly for that long, he would have been visibly altered. His appearance would have been changed. They believe his skin would have been bleached by the fish's digestive juices. He would have been wet, tired, and smelling like the sea. What a frightening sight Jonah must have been, this mysterious messenger, this stranger walking into their city, dressed like a prophet, smelling like the ocean with pale skin, and then to hear him declare an ominous message of doom throughout the city streets, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. As you can imagine, it must have alarmed the city's inhabitants. That sight would have grabbed anyone's attention. Let's see how the city responds. Jonah chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. It says, Jonah began to go into the city, going in a day's journey. He called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, this word overthrown means destroyed. And the people of Nineveh, verse 5, did what? Believed God. And they call for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Surprisingly, the Assyrians, this 
group of corrupt, hardened, violent people hear the words of God and respond to it. God was going to destroy the city of Nineveh, and the people surprisingly believed God and repented. It says that the word even reached the ruler of Nineveh, and he put out a decree that everyone should repent and sackcloth and ashes, thinking perhaps this God would spare them. Now, if you see the expression putting on sackcloth and ashes, that's usually a universal sign of remorse and mourning. It was often accompanied by fasting. It was the best way for a nation to show that they were truly repentant before God because they would go about and humble themselves so that they would not move or do anything for that period of time and just show God, God, we are so sorry. Please have mercy on us. And you know what? God sees their humility and God relents, deciding not to destroy the city. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented in the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God's justice demands judgment, but his mercy and compassion bring a chance for salvation. These are people who no Israelite ever thought would ever turn to the Lord God, and they turned to God. Had the people of Nineveh not responded to Jonah's message, the city would have been destroyed. Had Jonah not gone, they would have never heard the message. And the city of Nineveh is spared. Everyone's happy. But you know who isn't happy? Jonah. You would think that a prophet, imagine if an evangelist or a well-known prophet went into the city of Springfield and preached one day a simple message, repent, city of Springfield, or you'll be destroyed. And imagine if all 155,000 inhabitants of the city of Springfield said, yes, we accept the Lord God as Savior. I would figure that you would be pretty happy, especially with the history of prophets, that people didn't listen to them anyway. I'd imagine as a prophet you'd be pretty psyched that you'd have that many people, 120,000 people, listen to you and repent. But it was quite the opposite. Jonah wasn't just upset. He was mad. He was upset that these people who didn't deserve God's mercy were spared. It's kind of the same reaction that the Pharisees had to Jesus' ministry. When Jesus walked this earth and when he ministered, there were tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and Samaritans who came to Jesus and started following him, and the Pharisees were incensed by that. How can he minister to these people that deserve God's judgment? It's the same attitude. Jonah hated that this happened. Look at his response in, in chapter 4, and this is wild. You don't read this story necessarily in your Sunday school class. Like, Jonah was in the whale, you know, and then the whale went to Nineveh, and the whale spit out, and he's on the felt board. He's clean and fine the same way he came out. And like they just, and Jonah preached, and people believed, and that's the end of the story. No, Jonah was like really mad that they believed because he's like, these people don't deserve God's mercy. These people don't deserve a second chance. These people don't deserve God's salvation. Look at, at verse 1 in chapter 4. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord. It says, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my country? 
This, this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out to the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat in its shade till he could see what would become of the city. Did you read that? I read that. What is he saying? He's saying, he's, Jonah went and said, okay, I preached. People believed. I'm mad. He says, I'm still leaving the city. Jonah goes off to a hillside somewhere, sets up a little booth for himself, and he wants a front row seat to the destruction of Nineveh. He says, you know, there's still a chance that God's judgment could be carried out here. And how sick is it that this guy would want to sit on the mountainside, fold his arms, and watch fire fall from heaven and completely consume a city of 120,000 people? That's how mad Jonah was. Seems unbelievable to think about it. And God's like, what are you doing? Why are you complaining? You know, do you have a right to be angry? And he says, yes, I have a right to be angry. I told you this would happen. I told you that if the word was preached, if your word was preached, that they would believe. That's something for us to remember, church, by the way. Jonah knew that if I share your words, that they're going to turn to you. Do we know that today? Do we still believe that today? We should, because his words are still powerful. He said, see, I told you it would happen. That's why I ran. Jonah goes on to say, I knew you were a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Wait, is this Old Testament? I just want to check. Is this the Old Testament? Is this the God of wrath that you so often hear about? Is this the, the different God that we sometimes hear about in the Old Testament and not the new? It's the same God. He says, I know that you're a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love. How did he know that? He knew that because he experienced it in the whale. God was merciful to Jonah in the whale. How did he know that? Because he remembered the Exodus, where his people were taken out of Egypt and went to the promised land. And along the way, the people made mistakes and they, they did stupid things and God somehow forgave them. And, and, and Moses would declare, you know, the Lord is gracious, slow to anger and abounding love. Can I just tell you that today, church? The God that you serve is gracious, full of mercy, slow to anger and abounding in love. He's not willing that anyone should perish, but all should come to repentance. So he knew that God was compassionate. He knew that God would, would change them. He knows that the word would change them and they would come to Christ. And he was so angry about that. He is so upset that he wanted to die. He said, he asked God to take his life. He asked God to kill him. To think that he had a hand in saving this terrible nation that was such a thorn in Israel's side, he couldn't bear the thought of it. And so he asks for God to, to take his life, to kill him. And then he waits for God to destroy the city. And you know what? God confronts Jonah's callousness and lack of compassion. How do you get to a point where you go, you know what, I hate a people, group of people so much that I don't care what happens to them, but rather I would rather see them die than experience God's second chance. And it's really something that we need to think about as Christians. With all the things that we see in this world today, Jesus didn't just die for the people we like. He didn't just die for the people that, you know, we see as God's chosen people too. He didn't just die for them. He died for all people. 
So where should our prayers go? Where should our missions efforts go? Where should our witness go? It should go to all people that everyone has a chance to hear the message of Christ. God confronts Jonah's callousness and lack of compassion. Twice God asked Jonah, do you have a right to be angry or do you do well to be angry? And God used a vine as an object lesson for Jonah. And as Jonah sat out in the hot sun waiting for the city to be destroyed, God causes the vine to grow and the vine grows up and it gives Jonah shade. And Jonah was really happy about the shade. He's like, oh, I got some shade from the sunshine and the scorching heat. Thank you for this, this vine that just grew over my head, Lord. And so he goes to bed that night, falls asleep, and in the middle of the night, God sends a worm to, like, destroy the plant, and the, the plant withers and dies. And Jonah gets up in the morning, and he's just mad. He's mad that the vine died, because now that the vine died, he has no shade. And it says that God made the sun hotter, so that it really beat on the prophet's bald head, so that he felt like he was going to faint and die. And, and Jonah was just so upset over this. He, and God's like, are you more upset over your own comfort being lost than a people that don't know their right hand from their left that are going to be destroyed? Is it really come to that now that you are just more upset about your lack of comfort than you're about the people that you should really care about, show compassion towards? And that's a question for us today. What is the reason why we don't often share our comfort? What is the reason why we don't often want to be known as Christians? Because our comfort. And the answer is, like, God wants us to get rid of our comfort in favor of bringing his compassion so that people would know and hear. God was gracious to Jonah. He used Jonah in a powerful way. And he was a reluctant and resistant messenger. And I feel like today God's speaking to us. And, you know, sometimes when we think of other parts of the world, or we think of the bad people in this world, our, our sense of justice rises up, and we say, God, you need to do something about this. God, they can't get away with this. And believe me when I tell you, you know, the end of the Bible tells the story, no one's going to get away with anything, okay? Those who don't turn to God are going to be punished for their actions. No one's getting away with anything. Even the person that, you know, commits a terrible act of atrocity and kills themselves, like, well, they got off, you know, scot-free. No, they didn't. Everyone stands before God and will have to answer for what they did. So no one gets away from anything. But do we have compassion? Say, God, you gave me a second chance. Will you give someone else a second chance? So that when God speaks to us about being his messenger, will we do that? Like Jonah, we can easily let our prejudice get in the way of God's plan. Like Jonah, we might be reluctant, resistant, and sometimes even resentful when God extends forgiveness and salvation to those whom we deem deserve to be judged. But don't forget the Lord's great mercy, compassion, and abounding love. Let it be at the front of everything that you do. Let everyone deserves a chance to hear the gospel. Everyone deserves a chance to believe Everyone has a chance. That's what missions is all about. It's about sending people to have never heard, to give them the opportunity to hear the gospel. Many missionaries don't know what they've done or what those people are responsible for. They just go and declare the message of God because like Jonah, they know if the word is heard, then people will turn to him. What kind of messenger are we? Are we resistant? Are we reluctant or resentful? 
Or is God speaking to our heart and saying, you know, I want you to love people like I love them. Care about them like I care about them. And what can you do to do that? You can start by praying for the people you don't like. Yeah, I said it. I did. Pray for the people you don't like. Pray for the people that are terrible in this world. When you see horrible things on the news, pray, God, come quickly, Lord Jesus, but Lord, would you save those who need saving? Would you pray for those that need to be saved? Would you be his messenger? We like Jonah, like when God spoke to Jonah, he spoke audibly, says, go here. And Jonah was like, no, I don't want to do that. There are times in our life as Christians where the Holy Spirit speaks to us. He says, hey, I want you to do this or not do something. I want you to share Jesus with your coworker. I want you to talk to your neighbor about the Lord. I want you to bring a friend to church and go, God, I can't do that. Do you know what they're like? Which is a silly question. Of course he knows what they're like. The fact that he's prompting you to do something about it means that he's got something in store for them that you can't even see. Jonah couldn't see that people were going to get saved because of what he did. But be his messenger. Obey his prompting when he says, I want you to go. You may not have to travel to Nineveh or Spain, but sometimes it's just across the street. Sometimes it's just the next cubicle or next desk over. Sometimes, as we're in November and it's Thanksgiving, I'm not saying doing it, do it over like everyone, like, hey, I have an announcement to make. Here's the gospel. But maybe as you're sitting down to a football game with your uncle and you have some time to talk with him, maybe you say, hey, can I share something with you that's meaningful to me and about what Jesus has done in my life? Don't be obnoxious, just be obvious. Don't be an obnoxious Christian, just be an obvious Christian. Let people know what's important to you. Can you do that? And the third thing you can do is partner with missions so that those who want to go can go and share the gospel with those who need it. God is still sending people today. He's still calling people to be messengers. Maybe he's calling you to be his messenger too. When he does, be willing, be ready, be open, and see what God will do. I'm going to close in prayer. And I just wonder if we could just take a moment and just close our eyes before the Lord and just bow our heads. And this morning, as, as I'm sharing with you, Maybe you think to yourself, you know what, I need to share the gospel with people I like, people I care about. But maybe there's people in your life that you don't like, (laughs) you don't care about. Would you pray today that God would change your heart so that you would think of people differently and think of them the way God sees them and pray for their salvation? Would you be a person that's being willing to be used by God for his purposes and for his plan, it's greater than our resistance. Would you be willing to do that? And this morning today, too, if you've, maybe you've heard this message, there's some new faces in this crowd today, maybe you've heard the message of judgment and salvation today, and you say to yourself, well, I didn't realize that God has a sense of justice, and I didn't realize that he'll punish every act of disobedience today, and I, I don't want to be on that side of things, but today I want God's mercy I want his compassion, I want his love, and I don't know if I have that because I'm not a Christian. I've never decided to follow Jesus. Today is your opportunity to do so. Today is your chance. You are meant to be here to hear this message. 
so that God can extend to you the message of his redemption and his forgiveness and his salvation. You were meant to hear it, just like the people of Nineveh were meant to hear Jonah's message. So with no one looking around and with no one else seeing each other, this is just between you and God. You say, today I want to know Jesus. I don't, I don't want to experience uh, punishment for the things that I've done in this life, but I want to know that God forgives me and that he will welcome me with open arms, that when the day comes that I die or he comes back, I'm ready to meet him and I know he'll welcome me. If that's where you're at today and you said, you know, today I, I want to know for sure, just slip up your hand. I want to pray with you. Now's your opportunity. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You've already, if you're already a Christian, then you are good. <laughs> but if you have never prayed that prayer, today is your chance. Anyone else? So let's take a moment right now and let's pray. So God, we pray today. And as I'm praying, if you raise your hand to receive salvation, I want you to pray to God too and say, God, today, Lord, I don't, I don't want to not be sure about where I'm going. Today, I want to know that I am forgiven and I'm set free. So today, I hear your message. I've heard your word, which I know can bring life. And so today, I choose to listen to the words of your scripture and I put my faith and trust in Jesus. And I turn from my own way of living and I choose to follow you. And just like those sailors on the, the deck of the ship where Jonah was cast off, of, they made a sacrifice and they made a vow to follow the Lord. I make a decision today. I make a decision to give up things and I choose to follow you. I'll, I will serve you and follow you. I'll, I'll be in church. I'll pray. I'll be a Christian today. And I choose to follow you with all my heart. I ask you to do that in my life. And Lord, I pray for those that need boldness today. Would you give them the willingness and the boldness? Give all of us the desire to see not only just the people we like saved, but the people that we don't like as well. For you died for all of them and you care for them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.